Happy Labor Day. So glad you could join us from wherever you are. Maybe that's your living room or in your comfy clothes. Maybe you're at the lake or the beach or the mountains. I hope that this is a time of rest for you. And I know for some of you, this is not the Labor Day that you had in mind. You might have had something else planned. And like many of us in this season right now, those plans have been changed, that you've gotten a no. We're all experiencing right now a, a season of no's, no's to dreams that we've had that have not been able to come true. Maybe you had a wedding planned during this season or a family celebration. I know in my house with students, we've had to move through the sadness and the disappointment of a lot of no's related to celebrating graduations or what we hoped the first week of college would feel like. And for others of us, we've gotten a no to a dream we've had for our jobs or for the places that we work, things that we were excited about, and it hasn't felt really good. So today we're going to go into the life of David some more and we're going to experience with him what it feels like when God says no to his dream. Now, in this uh, passage, we're bringing back uh, David from the encounter that he experienced last week with Richard, in which Saul and David meet, and David forgives Saul. And then the rest of 1 Samuel is about this relationship of David and Saul. Uh, the, the cat and mouse continues. Uh, the Philistines return. Uh, they become foe. They are foe. They also become a force that David uses. And eventually uh, the story continues and Saul is killed in battle at the end of 1 Samuel. So we pick up in 2 Samuel where then David... Remember way back when he was anointed king by Samuel back in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is now finally inaugurated king in 2 Samuel chapter 2 over the southern tribes, Judah, and then in chapter 4 over all of the tribes of Israel, uniting the 12 tribes into one nation and, he, and David is their king. And so the passage we're going to look at today, here in chapter 7, is really looking at a sweet spot in David's reign, his 33-year reign as king of Israel. And this is a moment in which the tribes are united, and he has established Jerusalem, the city of David, to be its heart center. And he is sitting there and he is realizing that the Ark of the Covenant needs to be at the center of their community and their worship. So the Ark comes to Jerusalem and he is uh, living into this dream of everything being united and he kicks back and he says, you know what, God, I'm gonna do you a big favor. And that's what we're gonna pick up here in the scripture in 2 Samuel chapter seven. And this is where after the king was settled in his palace, this is David, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, well, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. So Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead, do it for the Lord is with you. 
So David is remarking, wow, I am, I'm living in this palace, this, this house of cedar, very rare wood, beautiful wood. And, and the Ark of the Covenant is actually in a tent. So God, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build you something great. Now I want to ask you, have you ever had that moment in your life where somebody says to you, you know what, I'm going to do you a favor. And you think, please don't. You know, maybe it's at work and someone says, you know what, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to help you with this project. And and you're thinking, maybe that isn't going to be so helpful. Well, I had a time as a mom when my girls were little, um, when the holidays were approaching and we had this longstanding tradition of making these walnut butter cutout cookies, that uh, recipe that my great grandmother has written down and we have it in her hand. And the girl said to me, mom, I'm going to do you a favor. We're going to make you those cookies. And I came into the kitchen to find this. Here's Ashby with a mound of butter and flour and sugar. And I don't know if you can really tell, but in the picture, like buried deep inside are the cookie cutters in that mound of goo. Um, And while uh, we didn't actually get cookies, it's a great memory, but one of those examples of Wow, that that favor didn't quite uh, help me out that much. So David has this idea. He says to God, I am going to build you a house. Now remember that the, the Ark of the Covenant actually represents the presence of God. And he's going to build God a house. Now, this is something that the kings of of David's day uh, were accustomed to doing. So in the ancient world, if there was a king they would build a great temple to the God. In our imagination, we can go ahead and remember these from um, Egypt. We see the great pyramids of Egypt or the temples to the gods. But these were actually common in a lot of the ancient uh, kingdoms of the day where you would have these uh, city, the fortresses in the city, and then some sort of grand temple to the God. And the posture of, the, of this day was, God, if I build you this great temple, then in return, you will give me favor. So as the king, if I build you a great temple, then you will protect us. You will defeat our enemies. You will give me favor. And when thinking about this as the way in which the the kings would relate to God, we see it as something that's very conditional. If I do something for you, God, then you will give me your blessing. And so to this offer that David makes to God, this this dream he has of, of being like, maybe like being all the other kings of his day, I'm going to build you a grand house the Lord replies to him with a no. And we pick it up here in the text where he says, the the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. That the Lord God's gonna establish a house for you for David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
So what is happening here? God is saying back to us, I'm not like the other gods. The other gods want you to do something for them and then conditionally you might get their favor. I am fundamentally different. I am radically different in this way. My love for you, my choosing of you, my blessing upon you is completely given freely. It is grace. And furthermore, I want to not only build in you, David, in you um, and provide for you a house, but I actually want to build through you a family. See, in the Hebrew, Beth is the word here for house, and, and it absolutely can refer to a brick and mortar dwelling, what we would consider to be a house. But the word also refers to family. So Jesus is from Bethlehem, from the house or the city of David. It's a family that God says that I am building through you, David, a dynasty through you, through which I will work out the restoration of all things through my people, 100% through grace. And we see this in Jesus as he is born and he comes and he moves and he proclaims the kingdom of God. Remember, David is a king and he's building a kingdom and he's thinking he's going to do it like every other king. He's going to build a big temple. But Jesus is reorienting that and he's saying, no, kingdom here is a family. And it's based on this outpouring of grace that God has for us and this love and you are invited into it. I, the Lord says, am going to build you a house. And what is so interesting about this is that as Americans, we think, oh, we need to get busy for God. You know, we need to help him out. Uh, it's really up to us. We, we have a really great sense of wanting to uh, work for God and to, and to deliver for him. And, and while I'm not saying it's not important for us to join Christ daily in the restoration of all things, because it absolutely is, it's also important, though, to pay attention to the words that Jesus uses when he talks about what this being a part of this family of God is like. Because he proclaims the kingdom of God. And what's interesting to note, um, Old Testament professor John Golding Day of Fuller Seminary points this out, and I just think it's so incredible, that when Jesus refers to the kingdom of God and our participation in that kingdom, he never uses words like we're gonna further the kingdom or extend the kingdom or build the kingdom. Like David wants to build God a house. Instead, all of the words that Jesus uses regarding us participating in this family and in the kingdom of God are ones that have to do with being in a relationship with God. I want you to see it. I want you to seek it. We seek the kingdom. We, we receive the kingdom. We inherit the kingdom. We declare it has come. God says, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And it's going to be a family in which we are all going to relate together. Nevertheless, this is hard because it is a no to a dream that 
that David had shared. And so I think that as we think right now in our lives, we're getting a lot of no's. We're experiencing no's to all kinds of things that we care about, that are important to us. And so as we receive those no's, what can now we learn from David and how we can faithfully respond to the no in our lives? And as we look at the way that David responds to this no, we see three things. We can faithfully respond as we follow him to sit with God, to sit with a friend, and to sit with our grief. So the first thing that David does when God says no is he goes and he sits with God. The text says um, right here that the King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, well, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Now, I don't know about you, but when I get a no in my life, my first instinct is to not to go sit with the Lord. In fact, my parents, who are now members here at Peachtree, um, will tell you that as a child, when they would tell me no, that was the most surefire way to get me to do something. Right? So a no for me was, let's go for it. I'll show you. Let me see how I can muster up some energy to make that happen. And while certainly perseverance is a value that we have, we definitely can take this lesson from David that when we get a no in our life, that God's inviting us to sit with him. And you'll also notice that in that passage that as he sits and he doesn't know what to say, instead of negotiating, what if I build you a smaller temple than I had in mind? Or, or what if I, if I change the timeline? David leans in to a place of gratitude. He says, that dream was really important to me, but Lord, you are God, you are good. Thank you for all that you've done for my family as I sit with you. And I love how Eugene Peterson uh, remarks on this passage uh, with respect to what David's uh, doing here. And he says that this is the action that brings David out of action. And I think that's a really important thing for us to consider that before we move on from a dream or before we start to, to think about what's next, that sometimes the most faithful thing that we can do is to not act, but is to sit with our Lord, to be in his presence, and to be grateful for all he has done and is doing in our lives. So after we sit with God, we also noticed that David took time to sit with a friend. Nathan is a prophet. Uh, prophet is a word in the Old Testament that refers to people who have an ability to hear God and to be able to share what they're hearing from God with God's people. And that's exactly what happens in this passage. When you read it, you'll note that, that God doesn't give the no directly to David. He actually gives the word of the no to Nathan. And I think this is something that happens in my life a lot, which is when there's a no, sometimes I can hear it from my spouse, my best friend, um, a, a good friend, 
before I can really hear it from God. Nathan, Nathan helps David to see that this no is not a no to him as an individual, but it's a no to the way in which God is going to work through David to redeem his people. It's not going to be through a temple. It's going to be through a family. I think this is really important. And um, earlier this uh, year, we had a guest preacher, a good friend of ours, uh, Pastor Renee Scheffler from California, who remarks on this passage in a really great way. And he says that this uh, is a, not about rejection, but it's about turning that rejection to redirection. In other words, God's not rejecting David. He's redirecting his energy. And I think that after we have time to sit with God, we can receive from God, where can we put that energy? That dream that we had, had life behind it, and it had readiness behind it. And so God's not saying no to us. He said an all-time yes to us as his child. But he is saying, where now can we put that energy? And, and David spends time thinking about how will God use him moving forward? So we sit with God, we sit with friend, and we also sit with our grief. I think it's really important to say and to affirm that knows hurt. It hurts. This season that we're living in, it's hard. And David has that same uh, experience that he shares back with God that I don't know why really you're saying no to this, but you are God and you are faithful. He doesn't move on from the hurt too quickly. He allows himself to stay there for a while and he, and he thinks and he talks about um, his story and where he's come from. And in the text though, he goes into this place, he's sitting with this grief and with this, this dream that's now that's now gone. And he says this, and now Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. We don't always get the why behind the no. We don't always know why God says, no or not yet. But here's what we do know. God has made a promise to us, his people. And David points to that promise here in this, in this text. And he says, all of your promises are fulfilled because you are a trustworthy God. Probably one of the most difficult no's that we see in scripture is the no that Jesus gets from God in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's looking at the cross. Take this cup from me. No. Jesus says, but not my will, your will be done. And here's what is so important about that, that that no is not the end of the story. 
we know and we live and we celebrate out of the promise of the resurrection and the empty tomb. And the fact that this family that we all get to be a part of is because of the grace that is offered to us through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. That this story is bigger than, than you and me and where we are in this difficult season. And that God has made promises that are still true and that he's still working out through us as we pursue him. When Paul looks at this in 2 Corinthians, in the very first chapter, he's looking at his life as a Jew, and he's thinking, how have we gotten here? All the promises that God made to Abraham to build a nation, to David to build a dynasty and a family, and to us through Jesus for salvation and for a family now in grace that's available to all people. And Paul says right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and for all the promises of God, they are yes in Christ. And we the people say amen to the glory of God. It's a song we sing here at Peace Tree as well, and all of his promises are yes and amen. You might be getting a no in your life right now. And I hope that you will have that space to sit with God friends that will help to, to, to listen for you and with you and encourage you. That you allow yourself to feel the grief, but that you will also allow yourself to live in the grace that's offered to us and to know that the story isn't over yet. That there's a much bigger story going on that we get to participate in and that God is true and that he's good. And that in Christ, all of his promises are yes. To which we, the people of God, respond for the glory of God. Amen.